may be seated. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We are taking a one-week break from 1 Peter. Uh, Paul graciously uh, decided to uh, tackle the topic of submission instead of making me do it uh, while he was gone. Um, so he let me choose a, a passage, and as I was thinking about what, um, what to choose and what to be preaching on. You know, I chose Hebrews 12 uh, and this verse here in 1 and 2 because it's encouraging us to run the race with endurance. And, And I don't know about you, but I feel like endurance is something that I really need right now. Uh, With 2020 and all that it has brought upon us, uh, this is a year that we need endurance. So let us look to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would be present with us, that your word would be at work in our hearts, that it would be an encouragement as we strive for endurance. In your name we pray. Amen. So how many of you like to run? Really enjoy it? I'm I'm not asking, I'm not necessarily asking who runs, but who here actually enjoys running? It's a completely different question. (laughs) And for some strange reason, when I was in college, it was uh, going into my senior year, I decided uh, I'm going to try to run cross-country. I was at a very small college, so joining the cross-country team, anybody could do it as long as you wanted to. (laughs) But as I was trying to join the cross-country team, I found out quickly I do not like to run. There's nothing in me that enjoys running. It makes me think of the opening scene of uh, the Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. And and, uh, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli are are chasing after a horde of Urukai who have captured two of the hobbits. And they've been running after them for three days straight with no rest, not stopping for food. They are just running constantly to catch up to them, to try to save their friends. And, and Gimli keeps lagging behind. And one time when, when Legolas, who keeps calling back to him, come on, let's go, come on, let's go. One time in frustration, when, when Legolas calls back to him and says, hurry up, Gimli says this, I'm wasted on cross country. We dwarves are natural sprinters. 
very dangerous from short distances. Now, I'm not a dwarf, but when I tried to run cross-country, I quickly discovered I am a natural sprinter. Very dangerous from short distances. <laughs> a 40-yard dash, I'm good. But when you start talking about miles, that's not for me. And when the writer is of Hebrews, when he's giving this analogy of running a race, he says, let us run with endurance. You see, he's not talking about a 40-yard dash. This race that is set before us isn't a sprint. It's a long-distance race. It's a marathon and, and as we look at this call to endurance, endurance is a major theme throughout the book of Hebrews. It's mentioned somewhere around 96 times in 13 chapters. And the reason why the writer of Hebrews is so focused on endurance and keeps bringing it up is that he's writing to a group of Christians who are enduring a great deal of persecution for their faith. And as the cost of following Christ continues to rise, their commitment to their faith was falling. And for us, though it's not necessarily the, the same kind of persecution that we face, we don't face the same kinds of persecutions that the, the writer is right, the people the writer is writing to. But when the race of the Christian life gets hard, I think that's, that statement is still true of us. When the cost of following Christ rise, our commitment to our faith begins to fall. And when it comes to running the race, we're all like Gimli. Just, we're natural sprinters in our spiritual life. Enduring is hard. So often we just want to grumble and complain or maybe just take a rest and walk for a bit. But running the race of the Christian life, though it is hard, it's going to require endurance. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging, what he's doing here is encouraging his audience and trying to show them how is it that they can endure. So in order to endure, we must listen to the witnesses. We must throw off hindrances. And we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us first look at, um, he starts in chapter 1, pointing to the witnesses. In verse 1, the first part of it, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And he, as we look at this verse, what is the very first word? It's, it's therefore. And when you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? And it's pointing us back to chapter 11, which chapter 11 of Hebrews is so often referred to as the hall of faith. That is who he is calling 
the cloud of witnesses, all that he was talking about in chapter 11. They are the great cloud of witnesses. And, and we are to look to them as we run our race. So this, great, this picture of this great cloud of witnesses, I, as I have imagined in my mind, what is the writer of Hebrews talking about here? I've always had this, this picture uh, of this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we are running our race. It's like I'm, I'm running in this huge auditorium and there's this great crowd in the stands cheering me on. And if you've ever played sports, any sport really, uh, you know that the crowd, those who come to watch, can make a huge difference. You know, it's, it's so weird to watch baseball as it's starting, beginning to start back, and it has no fans in the stands. And you begin to realize how important the fans are, are to the players. When you see things like some of the teams are putting cardboard cutouts in the seats, and others are, are pumping the sound of people cheering into the stadium so that they can have some sort of experience that the, the fans are there with them. And as, as I'm reading this great cloud of witnesses, it's, it's like I'm imagining that I'm, I'm back running cross-country, and, and I'm about ready to give up. I'm about ready just to, to walk the rest of the way because of the pain in my legs and every step, the pain in my lungs, and it feels so hard just to take a breath, and I feel like I can't catch a breath. But just as that is coming, I hear someone who's on the sidelines say, Go, Adam, you can do it. And just hearing that gives me the strength to keep going. That's what I've always pictured when I looked at this verse. But the more I thought about it, it seems really self centered. Like it's all about me, that everybody is there for me to make sure that I keep running. So that's one way to look at it. And some, some say that the cloud of witnesses refers here to, to pointing back to the heroes of the faith who have finished the race. So what we are to do is we are to look to them and, and try to follow in their footsteps, to learn from them. But even a quick glance through some of the names that are included in chapter 11 may deter us from trying to follow in their footsteps. I'll speak about that a little bit more in a minute. But I think a better understanding of what is, what is going on here, what is this great cloud of witnesses? Is that the, the great cloud of witnesses have witnessed and shown and proclaimed to us not what they have accomplished, but what God has accomplished in them by faith. And the focus isn't on us or even on the witnesses, but rather on God and what He is doing. But how is this an encouragement for us? There's really many ways that chapter 11 can encourage us as we run the race. 
It encourages us that we are not alone in the race, as we see all those who are, who are running alongside of us and who have run before us. We are not alone. We can also be encouraged by seeing how the Old Testament heroes were, in, were strengthened and empowered by their faith. And, and how God uses that to accomplish great things. As we look back at chapter 11, verses 33 through the first part of 35, it says this, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Look at all the things that were being accomplished by faith. Or as we look back again at, at chapter 11, we can look at verses, the, the second part of verse 35 and verse 30, 38, and we see how their faith strengthened those who were running the race before us. It says this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in the dens of the caves of the earth. We look to see how much they endured and how they were enabled to endure those great things, those great trials and tribulations because of their faith. But personally, I've always been encouraged by those who are included in this hall of faith. As we look at the names, it's Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Many of those on this list are far from perfect. They committed great sins. They got drunk and lied. They, they didn't believe what God said. They, they cheated. They were prideful. They, they were prostitutes. They, they tested God. They were passive. Lots of things that you could say about Samson. They made a rash vow. They, they murdered. They committed adultery. Yet they are commended for their faith. And God used them in great and mighty ways. That doesn't mean it's okay for us to sin because, well, the Old Testament heroes sinned too. But it can give us great hope and release us from our shame. This has always given me great hope. It reminds me that, that my sin, though it is great, doesn't disqualify me doesn't keep God from using me to be a witness to others. And as we've seen from Nehemiah 9, we see God is faithful 
And he will continue to love us and never forsake us, even when our sin is great. What a great encouragement to keep running. Knowing that God can still use me in the midst of my sin and my weaknesses gives me great strength to endure when the race gets hard. When my shame is trying to tell me I'm no good, I'm worthless, I should just stop trying, just give up. I need to listen to the witnesses who are showing me that God is still at work. Not only does the writer of Hebrews point us to the witnesses, but he then tells us that we must throw off our hindrances. In second part of verse 1, it says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it's unclear here if weight and sin are two distinct things or or just different ways of saying the same thing. I personally read it as saying, throw off anything. If there's anything in your life that could hinder you or keep you from finishing this race, toss it aside. Throw it off. And if you are running a marathon, it makes sense that you wouldn't want any extra weight or or anything to cling to you or slow you down. That's why uh, runners wear those itty-bitty shorts that they wear. It's loose, and, and they can run without any weight. The author gives us this picture of, of sin clinging so closely to us. It makes me think of trying to get bubble gum out of your hair. It clings so closely. And it reminds me of, of Paul's words in, in, in Romans 7, especially verse 19, where he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. The struggle of of not wanting to continue in your sin, but you're having such a hard time throwing it off because it's clinging to you and you keep falling into it. This picture of sin grabbing hold of you and, and trying to drag you down. And if we are to endure and finish the race, what this is telling us is that we have to work hard to throw off anything that would hinder us, especially our own sin. Not just the the besetting sins which seem to cling to us, but anything that is weighing us down and making it harder to run the race. Sometimes this can be even good things that that become weights that hinder us if they become ultimate things. Or even they just take too prominent a place in our lives. We've taken them up on our shoulders and they're weighing us down. We begin to race after those things rather than the race that God has put us on. 
It makes me actually think of uh, The Amazing Race. Many of you probably know that I love this TV show. Uh, We just had a youth version of The Amazing Race yesterday, which is a lot of fun. But in the TV show, they, they run in legs of the race. And in each, at the end of each leg, whatever team has come in last is usually eliminated from the race. But in the first several seasons, every now and again, they would have a non-elimination leg. And what would happen is whatever team came in last place on the non-elimination leg would still receive a penalty for the rest of the race. And what would happen is they would actually have to give up everything that they had with them. And the racers would normally carry everything that they would need for the race in these big backpacks that they would carry everywhere with them. But if they came in last on a non-elimination leg, they were left with only the clothes on their backs and their passports. They were stripped of all their money and everything else they had. I hope they gave them a toothbrush, but I'm not sure that they did. But, and and they would have to run the rest of the race just with the clothes on their back. And they'd have to beg for money to get taxis. But as the show goes on, I don't know how many seasons they, they had this penalty, but eventually they began to realize something. It wasn't as much of a penalty as they thought it was going to be. Because all of a sudden, those who had everything else stripped away had nothing to carry around with them anymore. They were so much faster. And so many of the people who had, been, had this happen to them ended up winning the race at the end. Because they didn't have to carry those big bags around anymore. And I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this, it seems like in this particular moment we find ourselves in, in, in this strange year that 2020 has been for all of us, with whether it's coronavirus or just the extremely polarizing political climate that we're in, the racial unrest that we're seeing, and who knows what's coming next. Laying aside every weight and sin during this time has both become way harder while at the same time giving us a real opportunity to be able to do this well. When it comes to the the besetting sins, those sins that cling so closely to us, I think for most of us it's, it's been much more challenging. When life brings stress, we tend to run to something to try to distract ourselves, even if it's just for a moment. And often we run to those sins. So you may find yourself having to work harder and harder right now because the temptation to run to your sin is very high. And you may feel a bit like Gimli, feel like you've been running for days and days and you just are tired and you can't take a breath. And maybe, can't we just walk for a moment? Let me just pause and stop running. I feel like that. This is a tough season, but we have got to keep running. 
We can't give up. We have to keep fighting to lay aside our sin and not run to it for a sense of comfort that is false. That comfort is false and it's fading and it won't last. But while this season is particularly hard, I also think it presents us with an opportunity. There are so many things that we have been forced to lay aside, so much that we have gotten in the habit or filling our days with, many of which we thought were necessary and that we needed, yet they got canceled and we had to live without them. You know, I think that one way that God is using this virus for our good is that he's been exposing our idols. As he stripped so much away, the, how much we cling to, to a sense of comfort that we strive for, a, a sense of security, or even how much we rely on the opinions of others to make ourselves feel good. As he stripped so much away, he's been exposing that in our lives. He is showing us that there are so many things that we have been carrying along with us for so long that though we thought we needed them, they were actually just weighing us down. But as things have really, many things have opened up again, how much have we just tried to pick those things right back up and throw them back on our shoulders and go? See, I think we have a unique opportunity to really take a step back and examine the things that we are filling our daily lives with and ask the question, are these things helping me run the race or are they just weighing me down? The writer of Hebrews not only encourages us to, to look at the great cloud of witnesses, be encouraged by the cloud of witnesses and to throw off any of our hindrances, he then tells us that we must fix our eyes on Jesus. In verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This makes me think of uh, when I was in college, I was a bit of a hippie, uh, but I, I had some friends that introduced me to something called a slack line. And it was basically the, this rope, a, a, a piece of fabric about an inch wide that you would string up between two trees and you try to get it as tight as possible and then walk on it um, or try to walk on it. And I remember the first time that I tried this, you know, I'm trying to get, it's about waist high or so, and I'm trying to get up on it, and as soon as I step up on this line, it's just wobbling like crazy, because there is some slack in it, no matter how tight you pull it, when your weight gets on it, it, it there's slack in it. And I'm trying to walk on it, and, and it's so wobbly, and I can't do it. Then I had a friend that, that knew how to do it. He comes and he says, what you need to do is you need to look at the tree on the other side 
and pick a spot on that tree and stare at it. Fix your eyes on a spot on the next tree, whether it's a knot in the tree, a branch, whatever it is, and focus on that. I was like, okay, I don't see how this is going to make a difference. But then I tried it. And I, I stepped up, and I'm staring just at a knot in the opposite tree. And all of a sudden, that wobble, it didn't, just, it didn't go away, but it was severely reduced to the point where I was actually able to begin to start walking. I think that is the kind of laser focus that the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage us to look to Jesus, to focus on him as we are running this race. And that will help us to endure. But as we look at this, I want to ask the question, what is it about looking to Jesus? What is it about Jesus that helps us in this race? I think looking to Jesus as we see what, what he endured and how he endured helps us. First, what he endured. He is called the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's pointing to the fact that he too has run the race before us. And he has run it perfectly. And I actually like the way that the NIV translates the word uh, founder as pioneer. He goes out before. And some translations even use the word trailblazer. He's setting the path. He's run the race and set the path for us. And then earlier in Hebrews, in verse 4, 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He's pointing to the fact that Jesus has, has run this race and he was tempted, yet he was without sin. He has done it perfectly. He has shown us how to live a life of obedience as he was perfectly obedient to the Father. But he not only points to the example he sets for us, but also what he endured in, this, in his life points us to the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame. His obedience took him to the cross, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And on the cross, he not only endured unimaginable physical pain as he was tortured to death. He also endured the wrath of God for all of our sins. The emotional and spiritual pain that he experienced on the cross when he took the punishment of our sins. This perfect loving relationship that he had with the Father, that he shared with the Father on the cross was broken. That's a pain far greater than any physical pain. But Jesus endured it all. 
But not only do we look at what he endured, but how he endured. The author of Hebrews tells us that he endured for the joy that was set before him. The joy set before him was the joy that he would have knowing that he was bringing glory to God through his obedience. As he says in John 17 verse 4, Jesus says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus left heaven and came to earth for a purpose, and it brought him joy to see that purpose being accomplished. And and a part of that purpose was knowing that he was bringing many sons to glory, as he mentions, as the writer of Hebrews mentions in Hebrews 2. There was a purpose to his pain. It was accomplishing something. And that made it all worth it. It gave him the strength to endure. But not only did he have the purpose set before him, the author of Hebrews also says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It gives us a picture of the finish line for Jesus. The joy set before him, Jesus was the purpose and the finish line that was always set before him. And now Jesus' work is done, and he is seated in victory at the right hand of the throne of God. If we are going to endure the race of the Christian life, these verses show us that we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the focal point that we can fix our eyes on so that we do not fall like that slack line. That we can focus on him and it'll help us to stay up, stay up. There are so many things in life that make the race hard, that grab our attention away from Christ, that try to trip us up and make us give up. Those this letter that was written to were facing persecution and hardship because of their faith. They were being persecuted. And they were at the point where they wanted to give up. What was it that was going to give them the strength to keep going? They were told to look at Jesus. And don't look away. Look at the way that he ran the race. See how he ran it perfectly on our behalf. Look at what he endured. He died the death that we deserve. He took the wrath that was meant for us because he loved his father and was obedient towards him, to him, and because he loved us. Look at how he endured With the joy set before him, all that was being accomplished through him brought him great joy, and seeing his finish line encouraged him to keep going. We, too, have a great joy set before us. God is at work in us, and he has given us a finish line, the joy of restored relationship with the Father an eternity with him that we have because of what Jesus endured. Because of what Jesus endured, death will not be the end. We too will be resurrected and share life eternal. 
It is true that sometimes the Christian life is very hard, but we have to look to Jesus, to who, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And if we keep our eyes fixed on him, we can endure anything that Satan puts in our path. I'll conclude with this story. On, on June 4th, 1940, Winston Churchill delivered a speech to the House of Commons of the Parliament of the United Kingdom. And it was the early part of World War II, and things were not looking good for the Allies. It was before the U.S. joined the flight. France had been overtaken by the Germans, and the threat of invasion of their island seemed imminent. Churchill was facing great pressure to surrender, even from within his own government. Yet, in many ways, this speech, what he said in this speech, seemed to turn the tide. And in it, he says this, We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost might be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. He is encouraging Parliament to never give up. No matter how bad things get, we can't give up. We must keep fighting. I think that's the same message that the writer of Hebrews is trying to convey to his audience and to us. Never surrender. Endure. Keep fighting. Keep running the race. But he doesn't just tell us to keep running. He tells us how we can find strength to do it. By listening to the witnesses. By throwing off anything that would hinder us. And most of all, by looking to Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would Give us the strength to endure. That you would help us to be encouraged by the great cloud of witnesses, by seeing the work that you have done through them by faith. And that would encourage us that, that even as you are at work in them through their faith, you are at work in us by ours. Lord, I pray that you would help us to throw off anything that is hindering us as we run this race. Lord, sin seems to cling so closely to us. It is so hard to throw these things off. Lord, I pray that you will reveal to us the things that we need to toss aside and give us the strength to lay them aside. But Lord, most of all, I pray that you would help us
to fix our eyes on Jesus. That you would remind us of everything that he endured on our behalf. And that would be such a great encouragement as we strive to endure. And that we would be reminded of all that he has accomplished on our behalf. That through him we can have life eternal and restored relationship with you. That is the joy set before us that we long for and that we keep running for no matter what. I pray that you would set that before our eyes each and every day. Lord, we also come before you this morning to lift up our requests to you, knowing that you hear our prayers and answer according to your great wisdom and for our good. Lord, many of us are concerned or worried as we see the numbers for coronavirus continue to rise, at least it seems to be. Lord, we just pray for protection especially for the most vulnerable among us, that you would protect us from the virus, that you would bring an end to this quickly through vaccine or through treatment. You would protect us and those we love from this virus. Lord, I pray that you would protect us as a body from any division that may come with just differing ideas. It seems like it's so hard to know what's right. Let's pray that you would unite us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have a bond that is too important to break. Protect us from any division that may come. Lord, we do pray for our students as they are getting ready to head back to school soon. We pray for ZCA as they try to make decisions about what that will look like. Lord, we pray especially for those who are heading to college for the first time or going back to college as they are facing so much uncertainty as to what is coming in the next few weeks. We pray that you will protect them and give them wisdom. Lord, we also lift up the small towns around Colombia. We pray that you would send a church planter who can come and bring the gospel to bear among those who, who do not have um, an opportunity to hear uh, your gospel preached. A, a pastor will go and, and Go into the community and reach out and bring those people together to hear your word. Lord, we pray, we th as we pray, we thank you for so many blessings that you have brought to us and your continued love and presence with us. Lord, we also pray as you have taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.